Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of the Teacher's Lounge, the Jerusalem U Israel podcast where we work to give you insight behind the headlines and keep you connected to the state of Israel. I'm your co-host Michael Unterberg with, as always, co-host Alan Goldman. How you doing, Mike? Thank God, very good. And we have today, for the first time, but hopefully of many more times, the Zen master of Israel articulation, Zev Ben Shachar. How you doing, Zev? Hi, good to be here. And what is it you do? Alan and I both work in the Gap Year Education Department. Alan's my boss. JU Israel, as we call it, JU Israel. The JU Israel Department. And what is it that you do at Jerusalem U, Zev? So uh, um, I'm the director of Israel Education and. Uh, as uh, you know, our goal in uh, Jerusalem U is to strengthen the emotional and the intellectual connection of young Jews to the land of Israel and to the Jewish people. And we do this through our films, and we do this through our uh, Israel curriculum, which is also film-based. So uh, I oversee the writing uh, of this curriculum. Uh, I do teacher trainings um, in, in Israel and in the U.S. and in South Africa. And... Uh, but again, one of my um, most enjoyable things is to teach uh, uh, in the Gap Year program, and I'm fortunate enough to be teaching with Michael and Alan uh, at MMY this year. Um, that's the school uh, that I'm focusing on this year. Okay, and if you've ever heard Zev present to your group and speak, you remember him. And if you don't, then you're missing out, and then I can't really explain to you what you're missing. So make sure... But they can, they can, they can uh, see Zev as he tours around college campuses and different conferences for college students um, throughout the year. That's one of the great advantages for our alumni that they get to see uh, Zev traveling around, all around the world, really. So even those of you guys who are Brits from FZY or other programs or even in Australia or South Africa, Zev makes his way out there also. Um, but today, truly, we're really on a, a sad day. Uh, uh, really a monumental day, a transformational day or a transitional day for the Jewish people and for certainly for Zionists in Israel um, with uh, Shimon Peres, um, the iconic Shimon Peres uh, passed away this morning after battling a stroke for the last two weeks um, and we thought that it would be a good topic today what do teachers talk about? As we said, this is called the Teacher's Lounge so how do we really prepare ourselves to, to talk with our students, to discuss with our students who this monumental figure was and what it means to, to the Jewish people today and what it means to Israel to be in this transitional period or really done with the transitional period and being in a new time when all the founding fathers are no longer really, um, really with us. Um, so the truth is we ran to a local cafe in the middle of our teaching day um, to try and uh, bang this out a little bit to figure out what we're doing. So, what so we're sitting in a bagel cafe in Emek Rafaim, and we're talking about exactly this topic. What message do we think educators should be presenting or what are the possible messages educators should be presenting? Can you, can you tell me what you mean when you say, when you say the last of the founding fathers has passed away? What, what exactly, what do you guys mean by that? Well, Shimon Peres um, really came onto the scene in uh, after World War II, before the founding of the State of Israel, when he joined the Haganah to fight um, uh, with the Jewish people to establish the state. He became the in charge of manpower and I think equipment in the Haganah. Under what do you mean by founding fathers? You're telling me the biography of Shimon Peres, but you're saying it's bigger than that. It's ah. the, the end of a generation. What do you mean by that generation? So, again, those founding fathers begin before the state of Israel. 
and they're the ones who established the state in 1948 and then lead it throughout the decades since then. And Shimon Peres, the last of them, leading it for the decades of, of, of creating this incredible place of self-determination for the Jewish people in our, in our homeland. So the leaders today, you're saying, are people who grew up with a, a state of Israel. And Perez is the, basically, maybe not the last, but probably the last big name of those founding fathers who built the state and made it happen. No, I think, again, if we look uh, really uh, uh, hard, we'll find uh, other leaders and other uh, um, central figures in Israel today that uh, were born before the state was established. Um, but I think the fact that we have to look for it and look really hard, you know, I could say Ruby Rivlin, uh, the current uh, president is one of the founding fathers. I don't know if I would compare his uh, deeds and contribution to that of Paris. The fact that we're having this conversation and putting effort into thinking, well, are there other f founding fathers, means that this is an important conversation to have. Right. You were mentioning earlier before we started recording that you think you, there's something you like to avoid when a leader passes. You, there's this sort of hand-wringing of, oh, what happened to the leaders. Can you explain what, it, what, what, is, it, what is that type of talking, and why does it bother you? I sure can. Um, so I think, you know, when, when leaders like Shimon Peres or when uh, Menachem Begin passed away, um, there's this tendency in society to say, oh, where are those leaders? Where are those Pereses, Menachem Begins, Ben-Gurions? Why are they not there today? Look, we have leaders today. We may not like all the leaders, but we have uh, leaders. We have um, uh, moral leaders, uh, ones that make a positive contribution uh, to, to the state of Israel. And I just think there's this tendency to kind of dismiss everything that we're seeing today and just to kind of yearn back to those days where we had such leaders uh, as uh, Paris and Begin. Um, so it's, it's also funny because in real time when they were leaders, people weren't saying, oh, these people are so exceptional. They were fighting and they were, in memory, they become... Uh, so, so I want to push back against both of you a little bit. Because first of all, there's something very nice about nostalgia. And that's what we're talking about, in nostalgia looking back. But if we look at Perez, and it's, it, it is true that there are many who are involved in incredible things in Israel in the last 20 years, 30 years, but if we look at Perez's biography for a short moment, just a couple of things that he that he was involved in, it, it, it's really phenomenal from uh, really being uh, one of the major architects of Israel's nuclear, nuclear energy and nuclear weapons um, to Israel's Air Force, the two things that make Israel basically a superpower in the Middle East today, uh, to being the, the defense minister who had to bring to the cabinet his suggestion to go for the Antebi raid in 1976 when Israel miraculously rescued hostages in Antebi, which is a raid that could have easily gone the other way, went incredible miraculous to, to the Oslo Accords. To um, So let's do that. Let's, let's take so his for a second before we get back to what, what's the educational message. Let's just take a few steps. Let's build what his life was. Let's just review really a very quick summary. I, I would argue that you can break his career essentially into three parts. His early stage as a protege of Ben-Gurion, his, I mean, leaving aside his youth growing up, making Aliyah when he was a kid with his parents before the state. Uh, I forget which Aliyah he made Aliyah. 34, that would be the fifth Aliyah. Right, so, and uh, then you have the later years where he's sort of this political rival with Rabin and all the, that's where you have the Entebbe years and all that. And then 
you have his later years. I would say that his president years. Yeah, so can any, who wants to sort of... Uh, uh, so, again, I think you did it very nicely. You have those early years when he's a young uh, protege of Ben-Gurion, learning the politics, learning the politics game, and he learns really well from Ben-Gurion yeah. real politics, yeah. how to survive. I mean, that's the incredible thing. Uh, if I may add to that, um, if you look at some of the main uh, um, leaders uh, today, not just in Israel, most of them have a, a mentor. You know, so in, in uh, Paris's case, it may well have been Ben Gurion. I mean, Paris's last book was Paris's memoir of his career learning from Ben Gurion. Right, so it's uh, it, it's truly amazing. So that and that when he's he's seen as the classic Zionist socialist, right? A what we would call today, if we were categorizing things, I guess we will, left wing, you know, socialist politics, along with a fairly hawkish military stance, right? That's where he gets into the creation of the of the of the early um, state defense systems that I spoke about a little bit a little bit earlier. Then that second stage where he's a uh, he's a minister in the government for years. He's bouncing around. He's back and forth with Rabin, where they're a for control of the labor party. Control of the labor party and the country because the labor party is controlling the country and, and and then falls off and and where he's he's um, in a in a bitter struggle with Rabin. Um, until we get to the to the Oslo Accords, where they seem to have worked things out somewhat, where he's the foreign minister. He's, uh, would you, is it fair to say people keep calling him the architect of the Oslo Accords? Is that fair to say? Um, I, it's clear because his people, like if we talk about his his mentors as being Ben Gurion, so he was a clear mentor of Yossi Balin, who is the main man, who was one of the main men who was there uh, w along with others doing that. And as the as it goes, they they brought the plans to Robin. Um, and then it's controversial about politics, how, how that fold, unfolds after that. But up until Robin's assassination, they seem to work fairly well together, even within this constant political conflict that they have mm -hmm. internally. And then when Robin is, is murdered, of course, he goes on to his uh, individual career of that and then leaves the Labor Party. That's the incredible thing. He leaves the Labor Party. With Ariel to form with Ariel Sharon a centrist party, which really was founded to do the pullout from Gaza. So, you know, and by the way, we missed out. He was one of the the the, the leaders of founding the Labor Party because the Labor Party came out of two other parties uh, back in the seventies. So, he has this. Funny, I never thought of it the way you just said that he his joining um, Sharon to form the Kadima Party in a sense is like a segue to the third stage, where he becomes president and people were worried. How can such a politically divisive figure become president, which is supposed to be an apolitical person who represents the nation? And he did it so exceptionally well that he was really blew up. Yeah, in many ways, uh, the conversation is that he transformed the presidency. He came after Moshe Katsav, which we all know the story with Katsav. Well, we don't know the story. No, no, but part of the idea of the podcast, of course, I'm just saying this, is, is that we explain things that people don't necessarily know. Well, one second before that, he lost the race, the first presidency race, to Katsav. One of the things that marks Perez's career is he's continually losing races, uh, but then <laughs> coming back and, and staying in the game. So He is the quintessential Politician. Yes. Politician and also uh, perhaps leader. Again, you know, some of us may not agree with all his uh, views, but certainly manifests the idea that we talk about in our 
uh, education is you have to learn to fail or fail to learn. I mean, he has failed so many times. Just think about what uh, Alan mentioned with uh, running for president against Katsav. Katsav again, for those who don't know, Katsav was president before Shimon Peres. He was accused um, and is now actually in jail. Uh, what's that? Convicted. He was accused and convicted uh, for uh, 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 sexual harassment, for rape, um, and he's now sitting in, in jail, Moshe Katsav. And so Paris came uh, um, after him as, as a president and, uh, and according to many, to, uh, transformed this whole institution of the presidency. Just one more thing about the second stage where he was, um, um, you know, it wasn't just about rivalry with Yitzhak Rabin. He served um, as Minister of Transportation and com Communications. Todak. Bagels are arriving as we speak. He, uh, he served as Minister of, uh, of uh, Immigrant Absorption, of Transportation, Communications, Information. So he did a lot of uh, um, other things aside from um, being Prime Minister or President or aside from being a rival of, uh, of Yitzhak Rabin. Well, I think it's fair to say that, uh, that the military, the military that defended Israel in 1967 was armed with weapons arranged by Shimon Peres. I don't know, you know, the mirages that destroyed the Egyptian Air Force were arranged from France by Shimon Peres. Yeah. So, yeah, so he, he, he is clearly that architect. But I think going back to what Zev was saying is about, I think this idea of, of failure, ultimately, he does maybe one of the most dramatic, has one of the most dramatic successes, which is to um, revive and uh, I, don't, I don't even know how to revitalize a position of the presidency, which we know is a symbolic one, but it's an important symbolic one uh, throughout the world. He comes in after a, a president, a sitting president, is convicted and put into into jail, and he comes in and transforms that back into a place of prestige. And I think that that's part of the reason why we see world leaders from the free world, at least, getting on the planes and coming here for his for his funeral, um, which they. The only other time I can remember this happening was when Yitzhak Rabin was murdered. Um, and I think that that is really a true success and a testament to him as a leader. Um, that it's not only he survived and got elected and this and that. He really, he really brought back kavod, honor, to Israel and the presidency um, throughout the world. And, of course, we can't separate that from that message of peace that he was so involved in. Um, it, it was controversial here in Israel. It's still controversial here in Israel. Uh, and uh, inappropriately, I think, the Times of Israel put the fact that he is a um, controversial figure a bit in Israel uh, as their lead story this morning. That is now bump, bumped down the, the feed. Um, but in the outer world, he's seen very much for the... the uh, peacemaker or trying to bring peace for Israel, the architect of the two state, the current two-state solution, um, and trying to continue with that agenda. In Israel, it's more controversial, of course, but yet I think even during his presidency, many, many saw him as being able to rise above that and to be a really uniting figure to some way and bring honor back to it. You're saying that um, the Times of Israel's timing was inappropriate. Yeah. 
to, to talk about his polarizing uh, Israeli society. You're saying this is a conversation that should, should be had. You're saying, wait, wait a minute, yes, look, I, you know, just like what I was saying before is that we miss those leaders that have passed away. We miss those Ben-Gurions, we miss Harris, we miss uh, Menachem Begin, and in many ways we idealize them. In the same way, I think, or in an opposite way, that present leaders are killed off. You know, you can just uh, look at uh, how Netanyahu is uh, uh, treated uh, in the media in Israel and, and abroad. Um, I, it, why, might be, it might be, though, that Paris is an exception to that in his life. Uh, yes, the right in Israel did not very much like him, but I wouldn't say that he was uh, uh, killed off in the same way as Netanyahu is today. For, for sure not. For sure not. And I think that's also something to think about. We were talking about before is how how we relate to leaders at any given time. But um, Perez, by the way, just to note, in terms of his biography, again, he was one of the major leaders of of establishing the settlements in the northern western bank in the Shomron. He came up with the deal to to establish the the settlement of Ofra, um, and was uh, definitely instrumental in that too so we see very many different sides I mean, one of the things he's accused of from the left is the fact that he enfranchised Begin in 67 having him be part of the coalition government and the left says well that legitimized Begin or you know he's accused of being sometimes too he, he was a bare knuckle brawler of a politician but he also had I think had a, a it's fair to say had a sense of national the nation's more important than the party yeah I think, and I think that that's what came out at the, towards the end of his life. When even with that move with Ariel Sharon, we agree or disagree with that uh, that move in the uh, forming Kadima and the Gaza poll and all of a sudden, I, I really think that he believed he was doing the right thing for the country and what needed to be done at the time. And I think that that sense comes through. And by the way, I, I'll just put it out there again: agree or disagree with Netanyahu, I, I think he also feels when he believes that he's doing the right thing for the country. Um, if we look at those leaders, I, I would like to hope that eventually he'll be seen as that way also. Look, I, I think we all agree that we should give leaders the benefit of the doubt. A, a, democ a leader of a democracy should be given the benefit of the doubt that what they're doing, yes, they're political animals, and yes, they jockey for a position in power. But their agenda, I think it's fair to say the three of us would agree that you give a leader of a democracy the benefit of the doubt that their intentions are for the best of the whole. All right, so we're going I think Again, we should uh, give them the benefit of the doubt. We can agree, we can uh, disagree with, with them. I think there is a tendency in the media today, and in general in the discourse in um, uh, Jewish communities in Israel and in the diaspora, to um, focus on the negative uh, aspects of a leader if you disagree with them, or the positive aspects if you agree with them. This is a very old trait, right? The Talmud says that they used to fight about Moshe, Moses when he was coming out of his house. The Bible clearly says the political battles that King David had to do. In our memory, there, we, we, we romanticize. And the Talmud goes to justify, re-justify those uh, early leaders of Israel, right. uh, those, those things. But can I shift the conversation? Back, back to like, okay, guys, in a couple hours, in a couple hours, we got to walk, or even less, into the classroom. <laughs> How do we have this discussion with our students? What, what do we, 
Well, can we divide the question yeah, in terms of what what, teach, what message should teachers be giving? I would, I would divide that into two sections. The life and career of Shimon Perez, and also what does it mean when the, when, when the founder's generation... By the way, that's a rare thing for a country to have a founding generation. England doesn't have that. France doesn't have that. You had to have a nation that was born out of an idea that had people who tried to make it happen. Perez, I guess, would be, like in American terms, like Madison. Uh, uh, he was in the he was in the mentee generation of the older founding fathers. So exactly. he was the younger. He was the young generation. He was the ones who was taking over afterwards. Which is, which is exactly what he did, along with along with Robin. Robin just happens to be serving out his early years as a military leader. So, but so what? What's the takeaway? For our the students? takeaway of the life and career of Perez, and the takeaway of what does it mean when the founders are gone. Those are two big questions. Um, and, and again, I think this is an opportunity, an educational opportunity to not only teach about the life of Paris and through that to teach the story of uh, Israel from the, uh, the founding fathers, but also an opportunity to teach uh, a critical thinking skill or a, uh, a life skill um, by learning his story. So one of the things that we discussed was, you know, he kept on going. He had so many failures, whether with um, um, running for uh, prime minister, running for president, and he just kept on going and he rose. And he, he you know, failure was an inseparable part of his uh, success, which in many ways is a story of Israel. You know, if you look at today's uh, uh, high-tech uh, uh, startup nation, you know, how many companies actually make it to their exits? How many become successful? We're talking about two and a half percent, right? Um, because and and uh, in fact, Yossi Valdi, who's the guru of high tech in Israel, says that he'll never hire entrepreneurs that don't have failures in the past. Um, so Paris was the manifestation of that. Had so many failures, but with that, so many successes that drove the country forward. I mean, that's, that's, that's a very powerful message for this time of year also, as we're getting ready for the high holidays, the, the idea that we, we look at ourselves and see where we've fallen and where we failed, not as a sense of despair, but as a sense of how we can build ourselves to even better people in the coming year. He's a model of that. Right. Um, also, I think uh, if we look at it in terms of the story of Israel, as Zev was saying, about like, he, he really represents the story of Israel and how Israel has transformed and developed into a a modern um, Western country uh, in the last 68 years. So if you see the country as sort of like the lifespan of a person, right, the early years were, you know, when we're toddler years, a child going into, you know, 67 when we, we start our adolescence, let's say 67 through, through um, you know, you can say through the 80s or 70s is really our turbulent years of adolescence, trying to even economically and through the thing and then when we start going into the 90s and now we're really maturing and becoming a, a modern country with all of that brings into it and at one point you know as an adult you lose your parent and you lose that uh, for a generation and you have to make it on your own right and those ideals that your parents trans transfer to you which is I think a lot of what what um, Perez stands for the ideas of the of the early Zionists of, of building the country and building a Jewish democracy here in the Middle East, 
um, is something now that we have, and okay, it's the mantle is passed to us really now. It's really on us because now that generation is gone. We can't we can't look to Paris to go around the world and put that great face on, you know, to be that diplomat around the world. We have to do it ourselves. So how do we pick up that mantle and how we take that idealism and that 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 unending um, fortitude of getting up every day and active and taking risks and and having hurdles and jumping over those hurdles and sometimes, sometimes crashing not. into yeah. crashing into them, but then finding another way around that hurdle over to however it is. So how does our generation now um, really take up that mantle to make sure that when we pass, God willing, in, in many decades from now, we, we will leave our children as much of a stable Jewish democracy as Perez and his generation have left us, I think. Well, I, w- I would also say that the very idea of having a lifespan like Perez's that is that 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 goes through such a revolutionary time in Jewish history but not passively because he happened to be alive at that time he was one of the people who made those changes to live the kind of life where you see you see the world around you and you say I know the future will be incredibly different than the present I take no status quo as a given I know it will change my job is to make a change into the outcome that I want it to be. And I will plug away and work and do whatever I have to do to get those outcomes. I don't know that we think like that enough. And Perez was the kind of person, and, and it really is the whole generation, that said, what's missing? You know, Bobby Kennedy, some people look at the world and ask why. I think of the world as it could be and ask why not. That's that generation. That's Perez's generation. And sometimes I think we lose that outlook and... and that's not only to our detriment, but to the detriment of the future. We should, we should see him as a source of inspiration. So yes, and, and also, um, you know, we keep on uh, teaching this and uh, um, communicating it in our films that our goal is that our audience, our students, see themselves as part of the story. That they're not just spectators. That they're actually part of Jewish. Uh, uh, history. I think uh, Shimon Peres, whether you agree or disagree with him, manifests that uh, uh, idea uh, in in real life. And I think, as Alan was saying, we uh, this is perhaps something that we can learn: is how do we be, um, transform from being passive observers of Jewish history, just you know, uh, cheering it from the sidelines, and actually becoming part of that uh, story. I would call it living a mission-based life. So maybe let's let's maybe so we can see if we can get down to three takeaways, right? Well, I just so want to add one more. Okay. I as long as, as make it yeah, I'm going to be annoying. Okay. I'm going to be Jewish. Yeah, but that's pretty, Stick you know, in that's one more. Yeah, yeah, sorry. Yeah, pretty good I know we're only three of us, and we've had six opinions. We need at least eight. Yeah. Um, the, the, no. uh, this one is personal, in all honesty. And and to make my point, I'm going to have to give you a little, put a little of my own political. I, I think of myself politically as a centrist, but I, I will admit that I was—I I, I thought Oslo was flawed. I didn't think it would work, and um, I disagreed with Paris. So I mean, that's not—it was—it's also a legitimate, legitimate political position, and, and his was also. I remember the experience of not understanding what his logic was. Like, why would you think negotiating a peace pro- deal with Arafat is going to pull anything off? And I remember, I remember Bibi calling him an astronaut, saying he's not. And, and I, I remember that feeling of, I don't get it. So I, I listened to what he said. I listened to interviews with him. I read things that he was writing. 
his idea was that I understand that Arafat isn't the statesman we want in order to make peace, but if we put him in the position of a statesman, then in order to hold on to his own power, he will have to act like a statesman. He will have to make sure militias don't work. He will have to have an organizing. In other words, it was a very healthy thing for me to realize that my disagreement about tactics didn't mean that he and I were, that, I mean, I'm, not that Perez and I are on the same level, but I, it's not that we were seeing a different reality, and it's not that we had different goals. It's that we disagreed about whether that process would work. Turned out it, it didn't work, but that doesn't make me smarter or better. It, he's the guy who was out there plugging and trying. That to me is, when I look at Perez, it's a, sort of what the presidency was. When we look at him and we go, whatever our disagreements were, we understand the other side of the argument and we embrace that president no matter where you are in the political spectrum. Um, I'm not sure everyone would agree with you and everyone... I'm sure they wouldn't. I'm sure they wouldn't. Yeah, that everyone would uh, agree with that statement that ev everyone embraced him as a president. You know, certainly the right wing in Israel did not embrace him as a president, did not see his... Uh, um, political uh, actions while he was a president as representing them, did not think that a president should be, should take on political... Uh, Correct, but when, when and, and we should put a link to that video, it's not, it's not a, the video you show when somebody dies, but the video of the, the commercial with him trying different jobs after he retired from the presidency. On my feed, all my right-wing friends are posting it with a sense of affection. So I, I, I don't mean to minimize your point, and yes, I, I overstated and overgeneralized. He, he did win the presidency with something like 83 votes or something like that. Yeah. Uh, you know, um, but I, no, there certainly were people who, who didn't embrace him like you have in any democracy or anywhere you're going. There's no one who is you know, 100%, but there was a sense of... Also, I'm, I'm giving my opinion. I'm not saying yeah, right. that's universal. And I think, you know, again, this is an opportunity. Maybe now it's, it's fresh. Now's the time to embrace who he was and the huge contribution to the, that he made to the country. And as Alan said before, perhaps with time to add more nuance to this uh, complex figure. Who was Shimon Peres? Do we agree or disagree with his views and actions? But for now, let's just, you know, miss... Uh, Which, by the way, is another great educational discussion to have with students. How are legacies assessed? How does the historical assessment differ than the real-time legacy? And how does the transition right after the death... These are interesting things to discuss with students. Um, yeah, I would definitely agree. So let's, let's try and take three takeaways for people that out there listening about what, you know, kind of summing up we're talking about from Shimon Peres. Always the teacher. <laughs> so I would say uh, the one that I'm hearing... First of all, is, is Shimon Peres representing a generation of ideological activists that changed Jewish history, or at least see, seemingly changed the whole current and wave of Jewish history where it was going, um, by not only responding to events, but also creating, uh, creating events, um, being proactive. So I think that would be one. What would be two? Right, that we've been discussing, right? Two is the uh, perhaps this idea of always uh, pushing forward, you know, always bringing himself forth, no matter what failures. Always, uh, um, you know, he he uh, embodied this uh, startup mentality uh, that Israel is today, trying new things, 
um, running for prime minister, running for president, failing sometimes, and then always standing up again and pushing Israel forward and pushing himself forward. It's not success despite your mistakes. It's success because of your mistakes. You learned how to get it right eventually. So maybe the, sec so maybe the second uh, um, point is the importance of failure. Uh, failure is an inseparable part of success. Good. So if we have the first who is really an activist, an activist who, who takes... Um, responsibility for situations and acts in them. Second is leadership and what is really leadership. And I always think maybe the third is this idea of, of how we disagree in democratic societies and how at one point we have to put the, the society and the people or the community, in this case we'll talk to the people of Israel, over, over the disagreements. Um, we, and as we said before, we saw that first of all in the end of his life to becoming president, which is supposed to be an apolitical position, whether it is or not, that's a, but it, it, it is certainly a unifying thing um, with his numerous times of joining unity governments uh, and uh, seemingly. So I think maybe those are three good takeaways that we could talk about. Act, uh, uh, activism, leadership, and unity. Um, uh, I think that's a good way to go. I, I, I mean, I, that's... I don't want to... That sounds so great to me. I would... I would I would, I would hate to be a school where teachers didn't take the opportunity to discuss those lessons from the life of Shimon Peres. Like, chaval, like, what a loss. It's a loss on the loss. Like, we have the loss, so let's take it as the, the learning moment that it is. Yeah, let's take it as an opportunity to learn about the story of Israel, to learn about, um, you know, a, a monumental figure, and also to learn about ourselves. Yeah, and ourselves in terms of? I don't think that could be a better tribute to him. I think that so he would want, as we know, he even in his 90s, at 93 years old, before his stroke, he was getting up every morning, had a full day of events for the people of Israel. The day he had his stroke, he released a video um, uh, on YouTube about, uh, about Israel. I forget what was his I, joke? I he also he had a joke when people would say, when he would, people would, he would say his age, people would say, Jews would say, it's an old saying, you should live till 120. And he would say, why are you being so stingy? Yeah, that he had a joke. So, uh, again, it's 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 a little bit, it's a lot of mixed emotions to take something that's so sad but also so inspirational. Thank God he lived a life very well spent. So it's not tragic in the sense that, let's say, the death of uh, Rabin was or something like that. But it, it is a moment for us to take stock of what it means to live at this sort of transition time and to, again, sort of rededicate ourselves to the mission's uh, that we all stand for. Appropriate for the time of year. As the end of the Jewish year comes to a close and the new one opening next week, that's really what we're supposed to do. Yeah, if you had read this in a novel, you'd have said, oh, that's a little bit uh, kitschy, putting uh, the end of that era right before Rosh Hashanah, right at the end of Elul. But uh, I don't know. God's an author with a sense of humor, I guess, and that's, uh, that's the reality. So we're going to say goodbye to you from here in beautiful, sunny Jerusalem on Emek Rafaim. Uh, we'll get back to work. And uh, we hope you enjoy. Don't forget that on, on our website, juisraelerusalemu.org, you can review our curriculum. You can get in contact with us. Please send us post, blog posts that you want us to post. Enjoy and spread and share the word. And let us know what you think and what comments you have and what you agree with us, disagree with us, and what you'd like us to talk about in the future. Thanks so much, everybody. And thanks, guys. Thanks, Alan. Thank you, Mike. And, and thanks, yeah. of course, for the first, hopefully, of many, many Zev Ben Shachar 
Again, I'm, I'm sticking with that. I like that one. The Zen master of Israel articulation. I'm sticking with it. Uh, thanks so much, though. Thank you, and Shana Tova. Shana Tova, everybody. Shana Tova.